2: All right, folks, welcome back to the latest Mountain West Flyer football podcast. Matt, week one, we're done. We made it. That's true. All All right. All the football's done. (laughs) We're all still here. We're still here. MWR.com, where apparently thousands upon thousands of people really were interested in Montana and Montana State and Wyoming. And,
0: And a fair amount of people always interested in finding the Hawaii
2: game as well. So thank you for stopping by the website. Yeah, hopefully you watch, tune 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 into those games and your teams both won those. But we'll we have a full week one recap, all sorts of recaps website, your winners and losers. I'm putting something up about maybe some overreaction because it's always fun to overreact.
0: It's oh, it's like, week one. I think we've got plenty to overreact to if we want to.
2: We will get there in between these games, like you know, Colorado State. Sorry, but uh whew. all right. Well, let's just get to it. We're gonna group these games. As I talked to Matt before, all, we're going to do all the FCS games, so going back to the aforementioned South Dakota State CSU game throughout the weekend, and then we'll get through the rest of the matches we had. It's a, it's a overall, I think the weekend was, would you classify it as okay? I would say it was
0: a C-plus overall relative to, I think, what our expectations were. Um, as you, For those of you who listened to the recap, we didn't expect any teams to lose to FCS teams, but we'll talk more about that.
2: So would it would it bump you up to a B minus if Call Colorado State won? Or maybe yes. a all- <laughs> Yes, it would have. Let's just start with that one. That was our Thursday night SCS game. So first off, apologies to Rams fans. Actually, no, well we had a couple games. We'll get to that one anyways because we're talking about it. it's Friday game. sorry. That was one Friday game. Big at big stadium, a lot of people there at Canvas watching the game, playing South Dakota State. You Matt, you mentioned this up before. Hey, not a team to be taken lightly with. But we're like, yeah, it's still an FCS team. They should be fine, right? This – the Rams were not even competitive in this game. They were 42 blown to out. Yeah, if you want to score 42-23 with 13 of those Rams points coming in the fourth quarter, probably wouldn't even know the Jack Roberts were unloaded the bench. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, they, they got up to about a 30 – they got out to a 35-10 to 10 lead by the end of the third quarter. It was basically done from there.
2: The Colorado and as I also like to call this, was embarrassing. And you already got the fire Dazio hashtags out there because I don't care. Like, you were kind of high on the ramp. You thought they might do something. But one of the biggest issues, like, we felt their strength was, like, with the guys up front, like, on defense. Like, oh, they have, they may have one of the best front four or front sevens in all the conference. They got blown apart by guys averaging 10 yards a carry with Pierre Strong. seven, yeah. they seven, seven yards per carry.
0: No, no, okay, yep. so I would like to single out Scott Patchen for some praise. Okay. Because, you know, he was the, you know, he and Manny Jones both put up a tackle for a loss. You know, I think Patchin was credited with, a, with a, with three quarterback hurries. And there was at least a couple more plays where like he was, he was in Chris Oladokun's face. Um, you know, they were just, you know, he would sidestep the rush or he would, you know, extend the play or something like that. So i you know I would say that patching wasn't necessarily part of the problem, but yeah, you're right. Like my a lot of my optimism was based on the fact that the defense, especially that front seven, would be able to carry them if there were opportunity, if there were times where the offense scuffled. And that was just not the case in this game. And it wasn't okay. necessarily even just in terms of, of of big plays. Of course, you know, Pierre Strong had a couple of really long runs, so did Isaiah Davis, but mm-hmm. just you know, as a tandem they gave up on what was it, eight, eight and a quarter yards per carry. Before sack
2: yardage. I'm guessing. With sacks at 7.1. But yeah. then again, Pierre, Pierre 10 yards a carry. Isaiah Davis was 15 of 84, five and a half. And the QB had a couple runs for whatever, 20 yards or something. But it's – this is embarrassing. Like watching this game, like as much as I watch, at some point I'm like, I'm done with this. I have better things to do on a Friday night. I'm not wasting my time watching this garbage. But like defense – the, I don't know what to say. It was they, – the passing defense wasn't there. Like, Chris a Ol- 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 con, excuse me, was okay. Like, 18-28 to is to a couple of TDs. But there was – like I said, there's only a couple of hurries by Paget. Tavion Brown had a hurry. But that's about it. They barely got to the quarterback, no sacks, only three TFLs. The guy had as much time as he wanted to throw, and he's throwing eight yards of carry, going downfield as well, that 46-yarder had a couple – they only threw a few receivers, a couple of guys, but everything worked for them. And the Rams – taught Santeo was fine but
0: I thought okay so let's let's talk about Santeo for a minute because I think you know that was one of the things that a lot of people you and I included had trepidation about okay well how good is he going to be and I thought he played fine you know he was you know 30 of 43 316 yards and and a touchdown you know he was in catch-up mode for most of the for most of the evening um and just, yeah, I, I guess I guess I would say like if there was one concern I had, it was that they didn't really throw down the field that often. Like they had a really missed, you know, a really close scenario narrow missed opportunity with Dante Wright, quarter. you know, in the first quarter, where I don't know if it was an overthrow or if it just was right off the tip of, of Dante Wright's hands. I can picture it in my head, and you could probably find a replay yeah. online.
2: L- little yeah, too high. Wright but... had
0: his man beat, and it would have been a big play if not six points. But beyond that, you know, they had some, you know, nifty concepts. They, didn't, they ran a lot of crossing routes, some misdirection. You know, they were able to get, you know, uh, you know, some not necessarily explosive runs, but you know, they had like, you know, some, you know, nine, eight yard runs, but they were getting stopped just as often as two.
2: And the offensive and, line was trash. Like the transfer she brought in did nothing. Three yards a carry is unacceptable.
0: And you know for for all that Wright and McBride were able to do which again they were definitely the focal point of this offense they had 24 targets between the two of them
2: 19 catches
0: uh, 19 catches they both went over 100 yards so you know they were open so it's not you know like if yeah. if, the, if the if the if the idea is to throw to the open man and let him make things happen then you know McBride and Wright did that it wasn't like Santale was forcing throws he was making good decisions all the way around it was just you know Combined with the a running game that w- wasn't necessarily as explosive as I think it could have been. McElroy you know, had
2: two carries. Yeah, two you
0: carries. Know, David Bailey, 19 carries, 46 yards. Oh, geez, give me a break. That's not, I would imagine, what Adazio and John Budmeyer had expected from him and, and the rest of that running attack. You know, like A.J. Uh, Vivens was relatively quiet. Marcus McElroy only had two carries. They need more out of that element of the ball, but you know, Senteo played a good game. Ryan Stonehouse was on full display. Um, yep, had you know, to. Yeah. Patchin had a, had a good game. So, I mean, it wasn't like it was a total loss, but there were some really critical failures. You know, some I think that were maybe expected if you were a pessimistic, a pessimistic Rams fan, some that weren't, especially on the defense. And so, you know, if you're looking for, you know areas where they're, they're. I would imagine they're going to correct. You know on the on the practice field coming in next week. I think those are probably it. Just you know get more consistent pressure, create more disruption up front. Because I think if they can get back to doing that, then they're going to be a lot more competitive in weeks to come than they were against what is again a very talented Jack Roberts team.
2: You give too much credit, man. I don't care. He was forty-two twenty-three. It's embarrassing. Like I was trying to think about this before. I need to maybe do more research but this arguably might be the worst Mountain West loss ever by any Mountain West team in football. I don't think there's ever been a tw- uh, was 19 point de- de- mm-hmm. defeat versus an FCS team. I know Northern Colorado's had one. I know San Jose State had a couple losses, but th- this is by far the worst loss in the conference history. Like nobody's <laughs> losing to teams like this. Like FCS. I'm just saying, I'm, just saying like, I'm, I'm trying to take the optimistic point of view, because I know. of course this is overreaction
0: week, and so I think it is that, important yeah. to point out what actually went right. The quarterback played well, special played teams didn't have any, any glaring issues like they did last year, and so I think if they can hold on to what went well and improve upon what went wrong, then they should be able to right the ship. And when you've got a team like Vanderbilt coming into town next week...
2: hello you know, FCS loser...
0: Yeah, they got blown, they got blown up at East Tennessee, and, and rarely looked competitive in that game. I mean, is it fair to say that that's a must-win for Steve Adazio?
2: Yeah, any every yeah, because somehow the Rams are one-point road favorite as of now, Sunday night in the in the first line. But like looking, if like if I look positive with you, Santel played much better than I thought. But the thing is, the offensive line where Adazio let's bring these transfers, it fell miserably and fell flat in his face. His identity is running the ball and moving the ball that way, and that was the second weakest point of this team outside of the defense, which is the brush defense up front. Yeah. So I don't know how you really fix that because the teams you're playing are all going to be more talented on the defensive line. Because our concern with South Dakota State was that what they did was score all the points. Mm-hmm. It, what the concern wasn't pushing them around. If you can't push around this team, who are you going to push around?
1: That's a good, that's a good point.
2: That's my point. I'm like, yes, they found the receivers. They found McBride. They found right on uh, the many receivers, which is good. Even Senteo got the action on that uh, quarterback pass he got from mm-hmm. Justice McCoy. So there's that. So it is a bit more creative, but we'll talk about the opposite of this in the UNLV game, but they need to find a way to start to run the ball. Like in the secondary, whatever it is, defense was just piss poor overall on this team. People said I ranked them 12th was too high in my power rankings, so they're the bottom for the foreseeable future.
0: I guess, yeah, well, they'll have
2: to prove us wrong. Even if they beat Vanderbilt, that may not be enough to move them up anywhere. We'll we'll see. All right, next game. Let's go to the UNLV-Easter Washington game, 35-33, double overtime, and the new rule now in overtime, two, you have to go for a two-point conversion. so that's why it was a quick game, if you're wondering, I guess quickish, but... Um. So, Matt, who's the quarterback going to be next week for the Rebels? That is an should... excellent question. I might be leaning toward Doug Rumfield. I
0: mean, okay, So, and I'm glad you asked that because I was going to ask you the same thing. <laughs> like, do, you know, did it look like Justin Rogers was the right decision?
2: Well, uh, seven of the – like, he completed his passes but only had 23 yards. Who averages 2.1 yards an attempt? <laughs>
0: I mean, and and I think more to the point, like the offense when and I think he saw most of his playing time early in the game. So like when you look at the, you know, the splits between like first half, second half, Mm -hmm. it's it seems like it's a pretty stark difference that they improved once Brumfield got under center. Like it wasn't like a huge difference, but like in the first half, the Rebels averaged 4.2 yards per play after halftime. Um, you know, Eric Barriere for Eastern Washington came alive. We'll talk about more about that in a minute. But you know, the Rebels improved on offense to five point nine yards per play. And it wasn't touchdowns like could, as well. Yeah, it wasn't like you could just contribute that all to Charles Williams either. Like I think, you know, Brumfield obviously maybe need a, maybe needs to work on his accuracy a little bit, you know, only five or twelve. Yeah. But, you know, every single one of those plays was it seemed like it was a big play. You know, he jump started that offense with the fifty eight yard completion to Kyle Williams. And then he had a couple other passes that were along those same lines. You know, they were, they were willing to take shots down the field. It seems a little more with him under center. And, you know, if he can improve his accuracy just a little bit, then I think that can make a world of difference for them. And he, and he also had like three and drops, I, I too, took- which sort of, which sort of, uh, you know, damages the overall completion rate as well. And so I think if, if that gets worked out, you know, maybe this is a much different game after halftime.
2: Be, well, Justin Rogers had the fumble, had the interception. Or no, that was Brumfield, sorry. But like, he lost the ball. But let me joke in the preview, like, can we give Charles Williams the ball 70 times? They kind of have to. and <laughs> They still lost this game 27 and for, what, 172. But we we're – I forget who on Twitter, just looking around. It's the same thing we said to Mexico years ago when they had that good running offense. They mm-hmm. need a quarterback. Maybe it's Brumfield. It gets another week to go. Like, they need a guy who can kind of pretend to throw the ball or be a threat. Because if you can be a threat at a minimum – like you say, they throw downfield, it opens things up. If they complete one or two, that'll make it much easier for Charles Williams and whoever's a quarterback, Brumfield, to find more people open. And I move totally the agree. Yeah. So that's the big thing. Even pretend if they're like, Williams will get his own. Like This is a very good performance, one of the best of the weekend. But it was not enough because the defense wasn't there because Barry Ayer did what he did with three touchdowns. Um, it's just tough. The Rebels defense did a decent job. A couple, couple what, did he get three turnovers in this game? Two interceptions every. Yeah.
0: recovery. So and, it, think- and they did it without Noel Williams, too. Noel Williams got pop targeting in the first half. That's right, early on, yes. And he's you know he's probably their best defensive back, and, and they were able to kind of sort of keep Barriere in check, at least for a little while.
2: Yeah, but, man, 374, that's our big concern for them, too, like stopping the secondary somehow.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think if or- you're looking for upside, it's that they were a little more opportunistic than they looked for long stretches last year. And you know, and, and especially you know up front when when they were able to get pressure, it was from the guys that I think we expected to kind of lead the way in that regard. You know, Adam Plant had a sack. Jacoby Winman played like a man on fire. You know, he had mm-hmm. 10 tackles and a sack and a pass breakup. I think you know one of the, one of the things that the Rebels are going to have to sort out going forward is just you know can they get more disruption from other guys? Cause, you know Connor Murphy at the you know one of the new defensive ends. Had six tackles. You know, Kola Wasik had five tackles. So the guys up front were like, you know, making tackles and, and putting in effort. They just need a little more in that regard. I think a little more disruption, in particular, is going to is going to serve them well. It's just that in the weeks to come, especially with the rest of their non conference slate, probably not going to come easily because you know they've got Arizona State coming to town, or, or rather they're hitting the road to go to Arizona State. Then they've got no, no, no. State coming to oh. town. Oh yeah, it is really, uh, sorry, that was last year. My bad. Yeah, and then they had the, and then they head to the San Antonio to face UTSA. So it may not necessarily look pretty by the stats.
2: Who beat the mighty Illini this past weekend? Just saying.
0: That's true. But I mean, this is another instance where, especially where you know, you're already hearing talk about, oh, well, they're they're gonna fire Marcus Royale. Like they're putting out no. contract numbers. Like it's gonna mean anything, and it's not. Yeah. This this is a long term rebuild. Everybody knew that going in. And so, same as you do with Colorado State, you look for what went well. Charles Williams got back on track after you know, kind of, you know, hitting a brick wall it seemed in, in, for long stretches last year, you know, mm-hmm. which, which tells me that the offense and the offensive line's ability to run block is back to where it was, you know, in the in the last couple of years of the Tony Sanchez era. So that that's a positive. Daniel Gutierrez hit three field goals from over 40 yards, including one from 51. That's a good sign.
2: And so However, I think, that 26-yard or whatever it was should have been touchdown just because you're that close. Yeah, That's I'm,
0: I'm just saying, like, you know, they, they made the most of their opportunities. Or, or rather, you know, they they made the most – they did more with their opportunities, uh, let me say that, than they did, a, you know, long stretches of last year. Like, obviously going only 4-15 or on third downs isn't really going to get the job done. But, you know, a lot of those were ones where they were extremely back up. And, you know, they're talking about, like, it was, like, a third and – 13 they got pushed to a third and 18 because of a false start and a third and 22 they got pushed to third and 27 because of a, a delay of game so it wasn't like it was a flawless game and maybe that's the the kind of thing that gets ironed out over the course of the year i'm alex rodriguez and i'm
2: jason kelly from bloomberg this is the deal each week you'll hear us in conversation with business icons this show will explore deal making across sports media and entertainment
0: That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple
1: as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to fifty percent off by going to Blue Nile dot com. That's Blue Nile dot com.
0: But there are things for this rebel team to look forward to that they can and, and that they can hang their hat on, at least, to be maybe you know more competitive than a lot of people expected they might be.
2: They might be. Um, I'm you a quick question. We'll move on. Who you mentioned long-term rebuild and all the sorts of stuff? Who lasts longer, Marcus Arroyo or Steve Adazio? Arroyo. Me, Tom, because exactly no hesitation, Arroyo, because Rams were Arroyo coming Arroyo's in. Arroyo was recruiting
0: to, better. That's that's part yeah, of it yeah, yeah.
2: too. And Arroyo wasn't coming, or Adazio wasn't coming to like a complete disaster. Wasn't great, but it wasn't what UNLV was. So just a exactly. small thought, and you you answered in half a second. Excuse
0: me, big smile, And 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 again, you know, South Dakota State was a very good FCS team. So was Eastern Washington. So, yeah, does it does it sting that UNLV lost this game? Yeah, I mean, you can if you're tempted to make jokes. I mean, go ahead, but you know, this is a UNLV team that's still. I, I think if you played this game a year ago, it would not have been as
2: close as it was. Interesting. You're not wrong because they were pretty bad last year. Yeah. Alright, so what's the next FCS game? Do we go to Hawaii? Who needed uh, all the
0: points? Yeah, we could jump around to
2: Hawaii. But sure, I'll just jump around because I just mentioned Hawaii. We have the other game we'll get to. So idea Calvin Turner got the ball a few times, running the ball, finally. Um I guess we should mention 49 35 was the final score on that one. While we needed a um a hold off in the second half, because they started off fine. They started off with a huge lead and then do I need to stop saying their defensive coordinators are good because oh man, these past two games have not been helpful.
1: And
0: okay. So so, so if 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 you're a Hawaii fan, do you feel better about the fact that UCLA just ran U- LSU out of the Rose Bowl as well?
2: Eh.
0: I think, I think that I might a
2: little, but not if you give them 35 to Portland State.
0: Okay, so so here's 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 the thing. Like they they went out to a huge lead. Like what was it? 35 to nothing?
2: Something huge, at least twenty-eight nothing.
0: It was a thirty-five to seven at halftime, and then maybe you could say they just took their their foot off the gas a little bit because, like again, you look at first half split versus second half split, and Hawaii was on its game before halftime. You know, they they on a on a per play basis, you know, they they gave up seven yards per play, but again, they didn't really give Portland State that many opportunities to move the ball down the field. Like they had, you know, the two turnovers in the first half. They forced two fumbles. They ran twice as many plays in the first half as Portland State did. And that kind of ratio reversed itself. So even though they were actually better on a per play basis in the second half, the defense was on the field a lot longer after that. And they sort of let the Vikings play their way back into the game. And so I think if you, if you view it with that context, you know, you look at the fact that you know, when when things were competitive, you look at Davis Alexander, who's a pretty solid, you know, FCS quarterback in his own right. You know, he was only, like, what, 17 of 30 in the first half? Something like that? Something like or, that. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm looking at uh, where. I'm sure. looking at, 9 of 14 sure. in the first half. No, no, I was looking at the first time. three quarters. I apologize. Not quite. But, you know, what they – basically put the clamps on them early and then kind of let them play their way back into it late, which I would imagine is probably not what Victor Santa Cruz had in mind. But, you know, they forced big plays. You know, DeWan Matthews had the, the one fumble. Um, you know, they forced two interceptions from Davis Alexander as well. You know, Hugh Nelson had one. Um, you know, Pete Atonga. Peter Tonga about <laughs> front had one.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: I think, to me, what may be more important is the fact that you know the offense was able to get back on track, and I think it started with you know you mentioned Turner. And I'm thinking maybe you buried the lead a little bit. Did you see that I know. play he had? Yes.
2: We took getting, a pass behind
0: the line scrimmage,
2: running for 50 yards to gain 20 or whatever it was. No, he, he scored that
0: touchdown. Yeah, which oh, basically reversed field on on
2: the entire Portland State defense. Reversed, um, yeah, not 20 yards. Sorry, he was back like 20 yards. It seemed like. Yeah, he caught it back. A weird backwards pass. Not weird, that's a That's a play of the year candidate right there. Has to be, yeah. Him cutting from the sideline going all the way around. He... No, he... No, I know I buried I thought you could mention D.D. Hunter getting 128 yards. Yeah, well. and I
0: was going to say that, too, because, you know, Hunter got on track after he was, you know, basically held in check by the Bruins last week. You know, Turner had 82 yards through the air. He had, you know, 36 more on the ground, scored a touchdown. They And I think more importantly, they they got big plays from the wide receivers, which we did not see last week. You know, Nick Marner had a 46-yard catch. Jared Smart had a 67-yard catch. Both of them had four for, you know, 97 and 96, respectively. Both of them scored twice. That's what you want to see more of. And I think, you know, relative to that, what you may want to see a little bit less of is Siobhan Cordero getting hit a little less often. Because you know, Portland State also had four sacks. You know, they had nine TFLs, which you know, maybe some of that has to do with you know Hawaii letting off the gas a little bit in the second half. But I think there's still some work to be done, and kind of going back to what we talked about earlier about the defense, they had nine pass breakups as well. Good. So so even though Alexander was you know racking up kind of the raw stats after halftime, especially, it wasn't like Hawaii was making it easy either. And so I think that's something else that when, when they're looking at it in the film room, again, maybe not necessarily a flawless performance, but I think they could be happy all the way around that they that they created turnovers, that they were flying all over the place, that they were getting their hands on the football.
2: Yeah, the, nine, the, the football. breakups, like you mentioned, nine pass breakups or whatever yeah. it was. So, okay, fine, you're right. I just yeah, – the 21 points kind of bugged me a little bit just because even if your backups and stuff are in there, you should still – not all that many points because they made it close, like two touchdowns. That's a close game. And I mean, I, mean people- I
0: guess yeah, I could see your point, you know, they, especially in that third quarter when they when Portland State, they scored three times, and then it was a little bit sort of sleepy after that. Um, but I think all in all, you know, you know Hawaii fans can be encouraged. but I mean, you know, all of a sudden, you know, Oregon State played a pretty good game against Purdue last week. We'll talk more about the Beavers when we do our recap pod or our preview podcast later in the week. But you know, they're right back into the grind. You know, Oregon State's not gonna be a pushover.
2: No, they they've improved. They beat Oregon last year, which and we'll get to an Oregon game later, but uh they're not great, but they're not bad. Exactly. If that makes sense. They're getting they're improving. So let's move on to blast with these other FCS games. Air Force thirty five, Lafayette Leopard's fourteen. Air Air Force Shazik Daniels, three for fifty yards, great. The Russian attack, dude, Micah Davis. Whew. Four for one hundred and one. That's what I want to see, right? The big plays I'm, on the ground. I'm
0: glad to see they got that element of the game back.
2: And he was. Here's the thing, too. You think, oh, four for one hundred and one? Because I didn't really watch this game. I kind of blaster and kind of read stuff and looked at some clips. When I first saw him, like, oh, he probably had like an eighty-six yarder. Nope, his long was only thirty-nine. <laughs> so yeah, he had multiple exactly. big running plays. It wasn't like a huge eighty-something yarder, than a couple five to teners. This was ba- literally twenty-five yards of carry, just about the thirty-nine <laughs> yarder, than a couple twenties. And yeah, that, not only that, they, you mean, know, they
0: they got down to business with Brad Roberts, you know, long of 17, finally. 25 carries at 111 yards. I think they'll take that every single time.
2: Yeah, the old, and it's what you want to see, like, I don't know if Davis can keep that going, but he Daniels had his 19 carries, three touchdowns as well in the ground, those three TDs for him, but it's good to see them have a th- three options running the ball. We'll see how it goes forward with Davis can obviously not continue that pace, but to get to production some way or another, that's always good. And they they ran to a million guys. Um, me Davis also caught a couple passes too. And the passing game, Matt David Cormier. Twenty-three yards. <laughs> one one style for twenty-three. I know. Yards. I was gonna say, no, I was going to say I, I paused there for dramatic effect, which was pointless. But they had a downfield passing a little bit because that's what we thought would be an issue, or not an issue, but a uh, something they would need because we wouldn't know who it would be. Because it's always that guy. Yeah. But defense played fine. They got
0: actually really fine. I should just say fine. I'm about like, to say, you're kind of glossing over that. The guys that took turnbacks last yeah. year, they're back and they, they look ready. You know, Demonte Meeks had half a sack. Uh, you know, Jordan, Jordan Jackson had a sack. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that defense played pretty well and, and never really let Lafayette into the game at any point.
2: Lafayette threw reasonably well, but that's fine. 18, 29,
0: not a lot of big plays though.
2: Yeah, they, that's what I mean. They're they're consistent. They had the one forty three yarder, but mm-hmm. nothing nothing crazy. Like yeah, Julius Young's a really good receiver for when he had one hundred and forty six yards. But it's like fine, whatever. It's one guy in a game. They'll probably want to tighten that up when they actually play better teams. But they were convincing convincing victory. They got they disrupted the quarterback. They got a couple. Well, officially one QB hurry. I don't know how accurate that is, but. They they were good. They got seven TFL. There was no issue in this game. Running def, rush defense was great. So overall, kudos to the Falcons. But you're right. The backs when they start playing other teams, like they play Navy next week, it's a pretty big deal. Mm-hmm. Final FCS game. Which can we just say this? Um, Wyoming 19, Montana State 16.
0: You're for, you're forgetting about one. Well Let's talk about Wyoming.
2: What did I forget? You're forgetting New Mexico. Oh, I keep forgetting. We'll love. talk about Sorry. we'll talk
0: about the Lobos in a minute.
2: Scary touchdown! I apologize. Excuse me. Um, but I was gonna say they Craig Bull did not lie. They wanted to pass the ball. However, passing it well is a different story. <laughs> with uh, no deep threat, with Sean Chambers really, they, yeah, that they had a decent ones. But overall, they this game defense. I'm not surprised that they held them 16 points. But offense, man, like Xavier Valade was shut down. They weren't the passing like Chambers, not even 200 yards. Had the interception not a fan of what happened here. They it's not good liquid mummies looking at a team that might contend or attempt to contend. I mean I, this was a fist fight. Yeah.
0: And and here here's what I'll say, you know, this is I think the difference between Wyoming this weekend and UNLV and and Colorado State. Good teams find a way to win and, and to their credit, you know, the Cowboys were you know shut down for long stretches in this game, but you know Sean Chambers You know, he didn't give the game away or he wasn't like, you know, shooting themselves in the foot or killing drives in the same way that, you know, he was, you know, wholly inaccurate in years past. He was 15 to 26 for, you know, 196 yards. He did have the one interception and took a couple sacks, but, you know, he led that team down the field with a couple of very critical fourth quarter drives when the chips were down. And, you know, even though Xavier and and, and, was you know, more, you know more more or less held in check now. 19 carries, 77 yards, had only a long of 18. You know Chambers got it done with his legs on the ground too. You know he contributed 51 yards. Um You know and they found some elements of a downfield you know passing game. They, you know the, the the game winner to Trayton Welch was a 21 yard touchdown throw, and that's not something that I don't think they would have been able to accomplish a year ago. And you know between you know Welch. You know, Aidan Everhart had a 31-yard catch. Isaiah Nair had a 21-yard catch. They proved at least they could throw their downfield ball a little bit. You know, they got solid special teams performance. John Horland was 2-for-2 on field goals. You know, when they needed him to turn, you know, scoring opportunities into points, he was nails. So, yeah, maybe it was like a a very, you know, worrisome, you know, (laughs) maybe three and a half quarters if you want to be charitable. But when the chips were down, they got it done. Their last three drives were scoring drives, including two touchdown drives. And, you know, this is the kind of game that, you know, when they were frustrated, like, for example, by Boise State last year, you know, that's the kind of game where if they come across it again, they can feel confident that they won't have to panic, that they can find answers, move the ball down the field, whether it's by punching someone in the mouth or taking it over the top.
2: Yeah, because, like, like the drive chart at the end, like, they went touchdown, field goal, field goal, like that second drive, the 13 play drive, 67 yards. They're up three, and then it's like, crap, you only get a, or, what was it? Sorry, I'm looking, look, I hate how ESPN has the drive chart. I shouldn't read those ever. But they're down 13 to 16. They're down 19. But this is, this is the worst. I, I should never read off this anymore. I should write my own because they don't put the score pro- properly in here. But basically, say, so end of the game, like that field goal, they wanted the touchdown instead. Like, to go ahead. Like, mm-hmm. that's, they can't sorry, I'm looking at this wrong as my notes were in, incomplete, but they kicked on long field goal. I just figured they let me refresh what I said. Let me start over here. Fourth quarter, they scored the points, which they needed to do. But you're right, like good teams find a way to win. That's what my concern with the offense is throughout the game. They kicked the early field goal in the first half. They they're lucky, really. That first think of this, that first field goal Montana State missed early on. Like mm-hmm. if they make that field goal, tie game. But the offense finally got clicking and going. But that's an issue if they're gonna play Better teams like any of the FCS. If you're going to struggle in the first half against this team, what do you struggle against when you play Air Force or Boise State or when you play whoever when they play Ball State? They got Northern Illinois next week, which it's not an FCS team. Well, I think you, I, that, think you, kinda, slow you starts, kinda, I think you kind of so starts. I think
0: I think you kind of gave away the game from Wyoming with one of the very first things you said. It's the defense that is that looks again like it is good enough to give the offense a chance to come around if it needs to. Because, you know, the Bobcats came into this game with a pretty strong running game. And, you know, Isaiah Fonts, you know, had 16 carries, 103 yards. He had a couple big plays, but he was, you know, he wasn't the guy to really kind of deliver the killer blow. And and Matt McKay, you know, he he was 19 and 28, but he only had 200 yards. He did have two touchdowns, but, you know, Wyoming also created a couple sacks as well. They didn't get, they didn't really push the ball down the field. They weren't as explosive on the ground either. As, you know, Wyoming, I think, could have let them be. And that's a true, that's a, a credit to Jay Sabell and the playmakers they have on that side of the ball. You know, Chad Buma stepped up and had a sack. You know, they had five TFLs as a team. You know, they had the one fumble recovery. Um, and, you know, Braden Smith forced it. Mooma recovered it. You know, CJ Colden had three pass breakups. So their best players, I would say, stepped up when they needed them the most to help them win this game. And, You know, it's it's probably not going to get a lot easier from here. Like Northern Illinois looks much improved from where they were last year. You know, and the Cowboys have them coming up this week.
2: Beat Georgia Tech.
0: But Wyoming has a plan in place. You know, they know they can execute. They didn't look as rough around the edges as they did for long stretches last year. And they didn't beat themselves with a lot of mistakes either, which is, I think, something else you can hang your hat on if you're a Cowboys fan.
2: So really quick before we move on, the passing game. They threw a lot, but it wasn't, like, downfield amazing. I, I briefly mentioned they have a couple 20-yarders. But, like, 15 to 26, like, is this what we're going to see from the Wyoming offense? Because I don't expect Chambers to be a 260 passer every game, like, going well, I mean, without, 20 to without 25
0: Well, without adjusting for sacks or anything like that, because I, I know they count that as rushing yardage, Wyoming is credited with 43 rushing attempts and only 26 passes. Yeah. And I'm guessing that if things go the way Craig bull wants them to, that we'll see a similar kind of balance going forward.
2: But do you think the stat line 15-26-196 is what we'll see? Do you want to do a bit better? Because I, I, I kind of have – like they threw the ball a lot, more than they've done in a long time. I just like the percentage of completion needs to be like at least 18, I think, a few more to be more. I mean, I think, like, I
0: that, think, for, I think for a debut of a new offense – you know, especially especially after last year's scuffles, Wyoming fans are probably ecstatic.
2: Okay, no, that's fair. I'm just curious what you thought they might want to see, but
0: no, I mean, I think I think Sean Chambers played really well.
2: Yeah, fifty something yards in the ground. All right, next game. Is, is, I, is this the real final FCS game?
0: Uh, unless you want to count New Mexico State as an FCS team, then yes. Oh, <laughs> we can transition yeah. to that one in a minute. We'll talk about the Lobos first. 27 to 17 over Houston Baptist.
2: Good victory. Terry Wilson looks pretty good, I would say.
0: 21-27, twenty-seven, hundred seventy-nine yards and three touchdowns.
2: Yeah, a couple of good touchdown passes. This game got a little dicey partway through, but New Mexico, they're at home. Finally, Danny Gonzalez gets his home opener with people there hanging out, watching the game, good amount of fans. And Houston Baptist, like the first little bit, like in that first quarter, like, oh, they're going to kind of run through this game. But they Houston Baptist, and two things, New Mexico's not great. And you Babs, like you mentioned in our previews, they threw, they threw like a thousand times, 47, but they threw a lot. So if you throw, you're going to make plays. And secondary, New Mexico stopped them and they, they made it a little interesting in that second quarter. But besides that, New Mexico was kind of in control because while well, Blaze, Blett Benson had 47 throws, they didn't have 200 yards, only had one touchdown, two interceptions, three turnovers forced by Lobos. So that helps big time as well.
0: Yeah, and I think you know the name of the game for the Lobos in this in this one. On, and this is true, I think, on both sides of the ball. Young guys led the way, and you know Tavian Combs. I, I, I'm starting to wonder if maybe I didn't talk him up enough in our Lobos preview podcast over the summer. Hit of the game, tackles, very good. <laughs> Half tackle for loss, interception, two pass breakups, and a forced fumble. I think you know, given the critical position that he plays on that defense, because he plays what do you? I forget what they, they call it. The Lobo, right?
2: Sure. That makes sense. Like, like he's a very, <laughs> I'm not sure, sorry.
0: He, yeah, like, he's a very critical component. And he started last year as a true freshman, too. So, like, obviously, there were some growing pains. But he looked like he was much more in command of that role. And, like, if he can be that that kind of extra piece alongside, you know, the safeties, like, you know, Jarek Reed had another pretty good game, you know, four tackles. They didn't really give up a lot of big passing plays. I think that, you know, Lobos fans have a lot to like on that side of the ball. And that doesn't even get into the fact that they also have five sacks and 10 TFLs too. So, you know, the Huskies wanted to throw. They weren't shy about doing it, but the Lobos were disruptive in more ways than one. You know, Rico Hanna had a sack. Deion Hunter had a sack. You know, uh, Langston Murray, Jake Saltinstall had a sack. They got contributions from a lot of different players. And I think that is exactly the kind of effort, the kind of disruptive effort that Rocky Long is looking for on that side of the ball and on offense. It was even, I think, more apparent that, you know, the young guys that were, you know, listed in very prominent roles on the depth chart, you know, got action and had some, you know, you know, varying degrees of success. Like, you know, Aaron Dumas, who was one of their top recruits in the 2021 class, led the way with 15 carries for 57 yards. You know, Luke Wysong, six catches, 48 yards. He's a true freshman. Keontae Lanier had the big touchdown catch to kind of get things going. Uh, and really kind of help New Mexico be comfortable with the 21-10 lead. He had three catches for 72 yards. I think that's the story of the game for New Mexico. And I want, and I'm and I'm thinking like if Danny Gonzalez and Derek Mooreheim have their way, you know that trio of guys with with Wilson kind of engineering the offense is going to have a much bigger role down the way. So even if Bobby Cole has another quiet night somewhere down the line, you know he only had 10 carries for 37 yards. Um, or if other guys, you know. Aren't are targeted quite as often, you know. Like Emmanuel Logan Green had two catches for ten yards, but he was only targeted three times. Yeah. They didn't necessarily need those guys to step up because the young guys did their part
2: and then some. one they threw to like ten different receivers, had a catch or something. That like too. So Terry Wilson throwing around and he also ran. He had a that fifty he got sacked a bit, but that long of fifty six was a pretty big deal. Exactly. So the so they're, they're doing well and it's like we said before, play well against bad teams and that defense. When's the last time we could I. I'm not gonna look or venture to, but seven, like ten TFLs. When's the last time that's happened? Five sacks, like usually. Well, the they, they had or... a lot of
0: TFLs last year in, against Fresno State in the finale, but that was an okay. entirely different situation. Yeah,
2: but I mean, but like that's pretty rare for this team. Yeah, but and unfortunately, you
0: know, like you know, they they got things done in the red zone too, in ways where they were sort of inconsistent about it last year, and and they were just as proficient about kind of help keeping Houston Baptist out of it too.
2: Yeah, we'll see what goes forward. But it's a, I was pleasantly surprised, especially how they started off going 14-0 in that early lead.
0: I think they had a pretty good game all the way around. I think I think especially with with rival New Mexico State coming to town, big opportunity for them to extend the winning streak even more.
2: Four games. They got a the three-game winning streak right there. That's right. All right, so let's just go back to chronological order. We're not going to go to the fake FCS team. Okay. We need to, I guess it's time to go back to, is it Boise UCF? Yeah. Oh, man rain delay, weather delay. The offensive line still can I say it's a piece of trash? The offensive line's not very good still. Uh
0: I I think Boise State fans would probably agree with you on that, so yeah. you may.
2: I'll allow it. Today's- I saw somebody on Twitter, I don't know if it was a beat writer or somebody from Boise, like, Hank Bachmar did this, like, not many TFLs or sacks. Well, how many times did he take a, a, a helmet to the gut? How many times did he have to sidestep? How many times was he running for his life? And particularly the very last play of the game where he threw a very ill-advised pass across his body for interception, which, was it me? Because even though when they got ahead, I didn't feel comfortable at all in this game when Boise stayed playing. Like, it never looked like they were really the better team at all that often.
0: No, I mean I think you're right because they were getting blown off the ball or even while yeah. they were building that. Lead. Like there was. I saw a picture.
2: It wasn't me. I thought I know if it wasn't me. I'm like, you know, am I looking at the Case in point.
0: Wrong? Case in point. Their opening score was a 100 yard interception return. You know how they got that play? It's because UCF moved the ball right down the field on that first drive. They started at their own 30 yard line. Mm-hmm. They took a huge amount of time off the clock. You know, the you know three minutes or something like that. He plays sixty-two yards. They were d- as good as in the end zone until Dylan Gabriel, or excuse me, Dylan Gabriel made a decision that I still don't quite understand. Um, like the worst right-
2: pass, like piss poor pass to nobody. Like his that yeah, was right to yeah,
0: he threw it right to Tariq Buff and so like that's you know, <laughs> like yeah. I, I still don't understand it, but that's really what that comes down to. And and the offense was really kind of one-dimensional the entire game because, you know, I think the, what made the most headlines is the fact that George Halani did not play in this game.
2: Despite him warming up in full pads.
0: Yeah, but I think, what, is it more important that their starting center did not play either? It doesn't help. <clears throat> because you're you're Just talking about you know something that you, something that you like never his- think about until all of a sudden you're playing with a backup center or something like that. And you know, maybe that is what they missed most often.
2: Eight quarterback curries for Central Florida, nine TFLs, FLs, a miracle there's no sacks. <laughs> so look and some of the and yeah, that center's not there. it's like we said last year, when if George Fonnie plays, they're a good team. And they don't have a little a solidified backup running back like they yeah, had I mean years.
0: Holani's the guy you write articles about I think I can't remember if it was Ron Co or whomever they said that when Holani's played over the last couple of years they're eight and one yeah and, and when he doesn't they're three and three you know Holani' the guy who gets headlines Kakani Holala Gonzalez is the guy who makes things go though and I think you know maybe that was the bigger loss in this game because without him, you know Andrew Van Buren and Cyrus habibi Laquio. You know they had another opportunity to try and seize the moment against the t- against the UCF defense that has shown that it knows how to bend, right? Like it, it's yeah. sort of opportunistic and and you know is willing to kind of give up yards in order to create turnover opportunities. Those two guys failed to crack three yards of carry between them. Not good. That's a problem. And and Cleo Shakir came out later only played twenty snaps. And, and, and sort of like a minor miracle that in that time, you know, he had five catches for 91 yards and two touchdowns. Imagine what it, imagine what the game would have been like if he hadn't played at all, like (laughs) don't.
2: Or what if he played more? Because they, (laughs) because they
0: didn't really get a lot of big time passing plays from anybody else. Like Stephen Cobbs had a very solid game, you know, four catches, 63 yards. But beyond that, you know, Octavius Evans was fairly quiet. You know, Billy Bones is relatively quiet and they, they, sort of had to put a lot on Hank Bachmeier's shoulders for, you know, some stretches and then, you know, mysteriously in the middle of the game, trying to get the running game going. And and to his credit, the offensive coordinator, Tim Plough, came out and took took responsibility for that sort of head-scratching play calling in the middle of the game. I can't remember who was it that said it, but, you know, they more or less came out and acknowledged they lost the middle eight games of that game, or the middle eight minutes, excuse me
2: it was it was terrible that they couldn't do a thing when they're up big i'm like oh they like even if they play poor i didn't think they play bad enough to lose the game because it was what 14 like it was twenty four seven that last drive in that second half they got the touchdown they're up i'm gonna get it right here exactly. twenty four seven I'm like there's no way they're not gonna they're not gonna blow a seventeen point lead they like the people do not say oh the timeout saved them or say didn't save them it's like I don't think you should call timeout because why save a team that was like Boise's defense was playing well up until that third down. It was third and long for a reason. And are you, are you did, talking
0: about? Are you talking about that last drive before halftime? Yeah,
2: yeah, because they're up forty-four-seven, and UCF first ten incomplete pass, second second and ten, what a loss for one. So a third and eleven, they call the timeout before. Like I don't why, like it. Whatever they can rationalize, whatever they want, your defense is playing fine. Why give them a chance to drop a specific play, and then they get the one play? Then play, 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 touchdown. Like that should have ended in a punt, and then they get the ball back. Drop twenty-four-seven, going into halftime.
0: Coincidentally, that, I think that that was the only third and longer UCF converted that entire game.
1: It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the
2: fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this, Adidas.
0: More, but, but also, but also, part of the problem is that Boise didn't force many third longs. You know, they were yeah. one of se- They were one of seven themselves when with nine or more yards to go. Um, you know, four or 14 overall, UCF was 10 of 17 on third downs and And they were setting, they were setting themselves up to just move the chains more often than not. You know, Boise state was only two of three on third and short, you know, four or fewer yards. UCF was six of eight. That's a tremendous difference in the game right there. And that comes down to something that other people pointed out in kind of breaking down the game. Other than Isaiah Bagnaw getting a couple sacks in this game, they got pushed around a lot up front on the defensive line which, which sort like of is sort of alarming.
2: Yeah, they were pushed around. Like, I'm like watching, I'm like, thinking, like, how the heck are they leading? But I get it. When the offensive line kind of breaks down a little bit and they're blitzing and bringing more guys, there's going to be somebody open. And Hank Backemeyer found those open guys. Mm-hmm. Like he stood in the pocket, took the hit, made the pass to see who was open because he threw it to about a dozen different guys. Shakir had a pretty big game. Like Stephen Cobbs had the – Nothing deep really in the game, but he was being consistent to CT Thomas, Kurt Raffdell, Billy Bowen. He's getting the ball to everybody. Octavius Evans were getting multiple catches, which is great, and he moved the ball. But it just seemed like they were just overmatched everywhere essentially.
0: Yeah, like, and I mean I know a lot of people were talking about what was it, the last touchdown that Gabriel threw that UCF probably should have been called for a penalty. Yeah. But I mean yeah. but I mean the Boise State had a lot of things go wrong in this game. So, even though it was a five point result, yeah, you know, I mean, I don't want to say that this is a team that looks like it's fatally flawed because, you know, they, you know, maybe Holani comes back against UTEP next week and they all of a sudden look a lot closer to what I think a lot of us expect to. You know, maybe they, you know, maybe the defense looks more at home punching down against the UTEP team that, you know, they're two, they're two and oh, but they've still got a lot of things to prove. Um, I mean, I, I guess we'll, we'll wait and see, but you, the Broncos have a have a few kind of critical things that they're going to have to fix in a hurry.
2: Yeah, they Helani's a big piece, but he's not the only piece of issue. Mm-hmm. Like, had he played, maybe they do it because they could run the ball and they're not relying I don't on think so man. 40 times. I'm just saying it's a five point game. If they have any sort of running attack, they hold the ball a touch longer. At five points is not is a very small deficit. But I'm just saying, like, you run, you average 0.8 yards per carry, including sack yardages. When you're starting running back, it's 2.6 yards per carry, and Van Buren's one long run was 22 yards. So that means he had nine carries for four yards after that.
0: Well, I, I mean, I guess I'm just saying, like, you know, if is if limited, Polanyi's unavailable, they needed more from the rest of the guys on that roster, and they didn't get it. And And that's sort of like a lingering thing from last year, too, like... You know, C. T. Thomas had had only three targets. Where was he most of the night? You know, they need they need more from the guys who have been there before, like Thomas, like Evans. You know, Van
2: Buren should be better by now. You would think.
0: You would think. <laughs> yeah, and they, and they, or, or maybe they just need you know Habib Lakeo to seize the opportunity, give him more run the next time around. I mean, I'm not saying it's going to come down to one guy making a huge difference. But if you're start-on-available, then you need more from your from your role players to, to hang around, and they didn't get in in this game. And if that happens again in the future, then they could absolutely lose a game or two in conference play.
2: Yeah, they could lose two Air Force is running the ball. Wyoming's defense steps up because there's no running attack because Solani's not playing or limited. Or when they play Nevada, which we'll see what happens with them. Um Next game, let's do uh, – where are we at here? Saturday? Okay, is it time for your first state game? Yeah. It, it, am I – um. Am I wrong to contemplate and seriously think about putting Fresno number one in our power rankings? I almost did it. Would I mean, you pers- personally, you I
0: wouldn't do it. I think I had, I think I had Fresno at number three in my rankings, if I remember correctly. I can't remember. I did it at, like five a.m. this morning.
2: Yeah, I have the, I have a two. I did Nevada than Fresno, and I was debating on Fresno number one because, as we get to the game, those first two drives really screwed them, being down fourteen to zero. Yeah. Which ultimately lost 31-24.
0: They had some nerves, didn't they,
2: <laughs> or something like that? Oh man, like Theodore you know, went out in the game. Like, oh, their best players out. They're gonna do fine. It's a uh, Kavon, because you can tell when he came back and hit had a huge sack in TFL. But after that, he wasn't the same. Like he yeah, came they, in for like one they play. Yeah, like, didn't an ankle or something like that. An ankle taped up really bad. He came in for like one play, and he was very slow. He couldn't do much of anything. They're like, "Oh, God, you're that, done.
0: Guy's, that guy's terrifying. It was
2: so good. <laughs>
0: I, I, I watched that replay on Twitter like fifteen times just because, like, you know, they the up, offensive lineman made one one wrong move and he was just he was it was over.
2: Because they compared him to J, the the Davion Clowney Michigan South Carolina game, you know, yeah, you know, just, exactly. What was it Michael Hart? He just pulverized and killed <laughs> by mm-hmm. the backfield. But but even that, like, okay, after that they start out slow because they couldn't get it done. They played well against Oregon. Like they had a chance to win this game. They yes, came they from behind. They came from behind. They had a fourth quarter lead. They had, yes, that's a good answer. They came from behind to have a lead, had, had to settle for a field goal later on for them, but they had chances to win this game, but they, Oregon's it's what it's a really good team. And so like they took advantage of the field goal after the fumble. They, Oh, they held Oregon to a field goal after Fresno's own fumble. Fumble, but they had to punt, turnover, over and down. Like the last part of that fourth quarter, when they got that lead, nothing went right for them because they had 2 plays fumble, 3 plays punt, fourth the four plays. They just had to go for it because whatever, you're at 20, what are you going to do? But yeah, like I right mean, path, the
0: Bulldogs aren't ne- – I mean, they aren't typically that careless with the football, which made those those fourth-quarter turnovers a real killer.
2: Yeah, this was a fun game to watch. I, I but, guess
0: this but was- also like they, you know, that's the credit to like Oregon's just got a ton of talent that knows how to make plays. Like Thibodeau's obviously the biggest one, but you know, that that the fumble that Hayner had that enabled the Ducks to tie the game in the fourth quarter, you know, Justin Flo's a five star linebacker himself. You know, and, and, and Noah Sewell made a play, he had a big play. Um it's just you know, Oregon's got a lot of guys. And sometimes that just catches up with you over sixty minutes. Yeah,
2: totally. Um, but the offense, like, Anthony Brown didn't impress me at all for Oregon's quarterback. Like, no, I mean,
0: and, and that's a credit, I think, to the offensive of line. Like, I think you – yeah, like you, we were saying in the preview, like, okay, there's a huge difference between UConn and Oregon.
2: Obviously. Who but now? That, but
0: the, Cross. But the front <laughs> seven stepped up big time. You know, Aaron Mosby is already looking like a front runner for defensive player of the year. You know, he had a sack. You know, I think he had the forced fumble, three and a half tackles for loss as a team – they had three sacks and, and nine tackles for loss. That's a big time performance from a from a from a unit that I think we were all sort of wondering. Okay, well, how real was last year? And I think we're sort of learning in, in real time that it was pretty real. And, and, if one or two, and if one or two things goes differently, you know, as far as you know, being able as as far as the offense being able to take care of the football, then you're probably talking about a different result in this game. Which makes it all this all the more frustrating that this is just another close call for a Bulldogs team that's
2: had a number of them over the years. Yeah, I remember it's all the infamous almost, should have beat Reggie Bush at USC, all that type of let's, stuff. Let's, let's okay. not talk about that. Uh, just say sorry. Right. Almost, it's always unfortunately, It's the almost team, right? Yeah, but, but I mean, you know, but like
0: you know, even when things weren't went wrong, they found ways to get around it. Like you know, Ronnie Rivers had a fairly modest game overall. You know, fourteen yeah. carries, only forty yards. Did have four catches out of the backfield, but you know when when he wasn't able to get it done, like they got a big run from Jordan Mims, for example. Yeah. And then well. when the running game was sort of stopped after that, which I, you know, I'm sort of kind of flagging that as a yellow flag because they weren't necessarily that successful against UConn either. You know, then they put the ball in Jake Hayner's hands, and you know between Cropper, Carrick, Wheatball, and Josh Kelly, each of those three guys had five catches. You know Cropper had the touchdown, but Wheatball and Kelly each had 70, 70 yards each. Yeah, like th- this is an offense that can beat you in multiple ways, and that's something I think that can put the rest of the Mountain West on notice. I think if they clean up the running game a little bit, improve in that regard, and just you know avoid those kind of backbreaking mistakes in the future, I think you can feel good about where this Presidency team is trending.
2: Does this loss make you more confident or less confident than like contending for a West title? Uh, more, I would say. Okay, that's very good. I mean, I, already there.
0: Felt, I already felt pretty good about their chances. My biggest Me concern, we talked about in the preview, was just you know how real was the defense.
2: And they were pretty good. Yeah, thirty-one they'd points. They played like, well, not pretty great. well. Yeah, they played. There's yeah, they weren't amazing, but they played like it's like a thirty-one points. But how many short fields does Oregon have? How, yeah, like, stuff like
0: that's that. The defense. Thing, too. You know, there was that, There was this. I think of, of the. Five, of the four touchdown drives that they had, three of them started on Fresno State's side of the field. Or excuse two me, two in of the them. first
2: half. The first yeah. half, the first two.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: One was at the 16, and one was at the. Uh, let me see here, the three. <laughs> you know, what I mean? So like in the red zone, not just in their territory, deep there. So like this yeah, game, they were, like
0: they were fighting, they were fighting an uphill battle in terms of field position all afternoon long. You know, the Oregon was starting on average at their own 39, um, but I think you know the big difference in the game points off turnovers. Oregon had 20. Fresno State had six. That's your game right there.
2: And both field goals for Fresno State, too. That, too. So it's good. Like, am I about this? I'm actually a touch more because we'll get to the Nevada game later, which wasn't overly surprised or overly happy with that. But let's bust through these. San Jose State, only seven points. USC, 30. I wish it was closer. Are you concerned? Because you put on, on our Twitter feed, another pick six from Nick Starkle. It's sort Is of that
0: a weird a- quirk, isn't it?
2: Is it a him thing or is it just a, it's just a it's just a quirk? I mean, it, I mean, it's sort of hard to say because
0: like in the bowl game they were they were missing like a ton of key contributors, right? Offense um fine guys, yeah. Yeah, and and skill position guys as well. In the opener against Southern Utah, it didn't really make a bit, much of a difference because the offense was kind of firing all cylinders. In this game, it was definitely a killer. Oh Oh yeah. Because, Two interceptions you know, as well, yeah. Yeah, because you know what was it? After three quarters, it was thirteen to seven. So you know, even it's though the close. final four ended up being you know, they, they, you know, USC scored seventeen points in the fourth quarter to kind of put they put it away for good. You know, that pick six came at a juncture where they were still down only sixteen to seven with eleven minutes to go. So they were still very much in that game. So by that measure, in this particular instance, yeah, it was a killer that I think, you know, and I would imagine they probably already identified the issue in the film. But, you know, those are the kind of mistakes that he didn't make a lot of last year. And we've seen at least one of them in each of the last three games. And so it sort of makes me raise my eyebrows a little bit, at least. But, you know, I think on the flip side, yeah, he was only 24-46. or 46, But a lot of that had to do with the fact that, you know, Nevins was was fairly quiet on the ground. He only had 15 carries, for 58 yards, but they were creating a lot of big plays through the air too. Oh yeah, like four, know, they, four, had, five, they had five, six
2: plays, 19 plus yards, six plays at least, I think.
0: They had 10 plays Seven. that went at
2: least 15 yards. 10 plays, okay, crazy. That's good. That like his yards, like his, he threw so many times. Like yards per attempt, not great, but yards per completion was up there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like almost almost like, nine yards, just about 24 for 308. He had to throw so many times, and the USC's defense is good. They're getting around, they're getting people. But with Nevins, like, they had no, if he had 58 yards and somebody else had 40-something, it'd be fine. But Nick Nash came in for a couple plays, didn't do much. Kerry Roberts only had two carries. That's, um, like, that's what Tyler Nevins, where I'm not going to expect him to do seven yards of carry like he did last week or last year, but get a touch more. But they also had no number two back as well to help out. And That doesn't assist either. And then the third downs are what I believe up right here. 3 of 15 on third down. Not very good. 3 of 14. USC was nearly 50. It was over 50%. Or just, sorry, 7 to 15 if I could do math. Like, yards per pass. USC was better. Rushing better. Penalties. 10 freaking penalties for San Jose State. Like, this game. That's it's uncharacteristic big, too. It is. This game, while it was a, looks like a blowout by 23 points, it was pretty close until that fourth quarter where they kind of wilted.
0: Yeah, I mean, case in point, you know, on a per play basis through the first three quarters, you know, even though in terms of raw total offense, you know, USC had their number by about 100 yards on a per play basis, they were dead even. You know, USC averaged 5.6 yards per play in those first three quarters. San Jose State averaged 5.5. 5. You know, if one or two things goes differently. You know, maybe Starkel completes one or two more passes. You know, he's only 14 of 27 to that point. You know, maybe that changes the entire tenor of the game, but that's a credit to USC's defense that they never really allowed that to happen. And so while it stings a little bit, you know, I think San Jose State gave them about as good of a game as I think you and I maybe expected them to
2: Yeah, it's my concern level is not much to more. I thought it'd be a touch closer, but there's Yeah and the, the other, thing, the other thing is Running, too, still there.
0: I was gonna say the other thing is too is like they they you know, part of the story of the game is just that you know, USC took advantage of its red zone opportunities, and San Jose State didn't. Yeah. You know, they each had four times inside the 20 yard line, um, and while it wasn't an overwhelming advantage, you know, San, uh, San Jose State only got the one touchdown out of it.
2: That's a difference, yeah. Those score, it's not good. And, well, and
0: you know, you talked about the penalties. They also had some work to do on third downs as well. Because you know, USC was seven of fifteen, yeah, and San Jose 14. State was only three of fourteen, so they were sort of behind the eight ball a lot as well. You know, we talked about it a little bit ago with with Boise State and UCF. You know, the the Knights were able to create a lot of really good opportunities for themselves. Sort of the same story for the Spartans. You know, they were only one of six on third and long. USC didn't really put themselves in that kind of situation that much. You know, they only had you know three opportunities. But they also converted two of them, and so when, on those money downs, USC just won those won those situations more often than the Spartans did, and so disappointing. But I mean, was it entirely unexpected? I wouldn't say so.
2: I would say the margin of victory is kind of my thought. That's all. Yeah. All right, let's get let's do this. we'll do this next game really quick: San Diego State, New Mexico State. Oh my gosh, San Diego State, you win, but I'm not impressed at all. That first half was terrible. Jonah Johnson, Aggies quarterback, if you're wondering, Matt, it's, was picked off three times mm-hmm. but still had threw for 326 yards. He was eating them alive back there, essentially. He hit through 56 times. But when he is completing passes, he was completing passes. And then, thankfully, Greg Bell's healthy because he's the only reason they won this freaking game with his 160 yards and touchdown. And Jordan Bird played pretty well, too. But, man, this game, second half, fine. But the first half, can it just be memory-wiped because it was it – definitely a weird first half. Yeah, they're down 10-0. I'm like, what, what the, what's going on in San was State? you supposed to win big. It was not – first half was – something was said in the locker room to make the change because it was much needed. You're down 10-0 to so probably the worst team – or, say, excuse me, second worst team in FBS behind ahead of UConn. Man. I was, no, this game, no.
0: (laughs) I mean, you know, to their credit, you know, they they gave up a lot of yards through the air in that first half, but they completely shut down the Aggies on the ground. You know, they only had 11 rushing attempts, you know, averaged about three yards per carry. You know, I think the the bigger problem was the the offense was just kind of DOA in that first half. Why
2: was some. Jordan Brookshire, why was he all the low end playing seven of twenty? Why was Lucas Johnson or somebody else not getting the chance when he, he was so really
0: struggled in that first half?
2: You're being kind by saying really.
0: He was two of eleven. <laughs> I know exactly how much he struggled. Yeah,
2: very half. struggling. Yes.
0: But you know, but you know, two. I mean, he was slightly better after halftime. You know, he was four of eight for sixty-one yards after the half. He did have the one interception, but I think you're right. You know, Greg Bell took over, and that was pretty much it. You know, they they were able to kind of set the tone. And, but, you know, again, the defense came alive in that second half too. Even though New Mexico State wasn't shy about continuing to throw, they were a lot less successful in doing so after halftime. You know, they, they had, you Seven know, three pass, interceptions, you know, their completion, you know, they, they were 21 of 31 throwing in the first half for 214 yards. They were 13 of 25 for 112 <laughs> with three interceptions after halftime and And the, the defense also came alive with four sacks after halftime as well. So I think they kind of realized, okay, well, let's, we got to get our act together and start teeing off on these guys. That's where you start seeing, you know, Caden McDonald with a sack and a half. Michael Shawcroft had the big, you know, interception. You know, uh, know, those, you know, the guys they expected to be playmakers stepped up and made plays. Cameron Thomas had two and a half tackles for loss. And they, they got some, you know, key contributions from new guys too, like Noah Tumblin led the team in you know, eight tackles, had four pass breakups. Patrick Morris had a half tackle for loss of pass breakup. They were taken by surprise. Yeah. It wasn't pretty, but they, they adjusted the and run. they found a way to win. You know, We talked about it with Wyoming. I think it's definitely true here. I think it will be true of the, of, the, of the final two games that we're talking about as well. Good teams find a way to win, and San Diego State was able to do that today.
2: Yeah, defense is great. Like five TFLs. Or 10, or no, sorry, 10 10 fill. I'll get backwards. Five sacks, all the pass breakups. So it was, it was a good victory for them. All right, let's get to Nevada versus Cal. Um, Nevada won 22 17. I'm not overly, like, your buddy Nathan Shoot put a little thread on Twitter. I agree with what he said. I'll pull it up here in a second. But this, I'm not super excited about this Nevada team at the moment, particularly. Okay, so, so tell me why. Tell me why. Cole Turner can't catch the ball, apparently. Get it. He okay. He was seven to seventy-five. That's great. But he had two catches. Like Carson Strong was visibly pissed at him for not catching two easy catches that would have been huge plays early on when they were down fourteen to zero. And so, like that just didn't seem to sit well with me. They they got the ball downfield a little bit, but there's like third down type stuff. I didn't appreciate what they are doing. They it just they did fine. They won. I'm glad they won. They took over after that first half or the first quarter. Because they were only six to sixteen on third down, they just—it didn't seem because the running game wasn't all that there. tal was just meh, but I get it. Cal's like a good defense, so maybe I'm just nitpicking. But the running game was not impressive, and then part of the passing game, I felt they left probably 50 yards on the field at least.
0: No, I guess I can see where you're coming from, but I think you know th- this is the kind of game that I think Nevada maybe needed. Yeah, to play kind of like a you know a B minus game, but still again find a way to win, because when all is said and done, and you look back at how the game actually unfolded, it's sort of instructive that both teams ran the exact same amount of plays. You know they both had <laughs> 65 plays. On that. a per play basis, Nevada outgained Cal 5.7 to 5.1. You know the, Nevada converted both of their red zone opportunities. And I think you know maybe that's something else we could talk a little bit about. Is the fact that they they had to settle for fuel goals a little more often than I think maybe it was uh, was was for for comfort I guess you would say.
2: But hey, Dalton missed one too, didn't he? Yeah,
0: yeah but it, that was no gimme though because that was from years long
2: it Yeah, and he, a long and he
0: made a, and he made two more from 44 and 49. So yeah, like they 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 didn't necessarily maximize their opportunities, but when they were in the red zone, like they made it count. So they didn't blow any opportunities there. And the defense held up pretty well too. Like, they'd never really let Cal take over the game at any point. Like, you know, they, they bent a little bit, which I think is maybe to be expected. You know, I think, um, you know, Jeremiah Crawford had a 28 yard catch, but again, he had, you know, two catches for 35 yards. So, you know, other than that one big catch, he had four other targets that didn't really do much of anything. Same with Kakoa Crawford. He had a 24 yard catch, but his other two targets went for nine yards. You know, their top targeted guy, Nico Remigio, seven catches, 22 yards. He had the one touchdown, but you know, he was more or less held in check. Like, I think it was the kind of performance that was more than what you see on the stat sheet. And when they needed plays from their, from their contributors, they got it. You know, Sam Hammond had a sack. Daniel Griziak had a, had a big third down sack. I think, you know, it wasn't necessarily pretty all the way around. But, you know, they were backed into a corner where they had to come back and win this game. And, you know, going back to Carson Strong, there's a reason why he's being forecast as a first round pick because he said, okay, we'll just, we'll put it on my arm. Let's go. They find Romeo Dubs for the go ahead touchdown, and that's all she wrote.
2: I have a question. Did you watch, because that's the game, yeah. Did you see the small school quarterback graphic they put up there? No, I did not. So I was watching this, one of the main games watching last night. Like they put small school quarterbacks. They put Trey Lance, um, Carson Wentz, those guys. Drew or uh, Flacco, Joe Flacco from Delaware didn't for because I, I didn't have the volume on. I had three different games on. I was listening to a different game, but that was the game I'm, I was watching at the moment. Why did they put Terry Bradshaw there? <laughs> did not he play at the Tech? He did. It was number one overall pick back in seventies. But I'm like, everybody else is an FCS quarterback. What are they comparing? I knew I was talking about Carson Strong. Like, what were they comparing him to? And second of all, you've had you've had David Carr go high. You had Alex Smith go high recently. He just seems so out of place, and particularly when every other quarterback was an SCS quarterback. They even had Steve McNair from Alcorn State on there.
0: That is kind of strange.
2: So it, it was awkward, like, and it's not like Nevada is a small school; it's not a giant power. But it's it was just a weird thing. I want I didn't know if you saw it or whatnot. It was just kind of an interesting thing. So that's what I was wondering. So.
0: Yeah, I mean Nevada right. didn't play their best game, but you know, I think Nevada fan, the Wolfpack fans should be hyped that they found a way to win this game.
2: Heck yeah, totally.
0: Because because you know the offense got contained at times last year, and you know, they didn't they weren't always successful at adjusting and being able to win. And so it's to their credit that they were able to find answers down the stretch when they needed it most this time around.
2: And also did I did see Cole Turner drop a fade pass. Oof. Disappointed.
0: We, it wasn't a touchdown. To, is, is 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 he still the fade line king until further notice? Are we probationary no, no, it, was
2: not, it was not a touchdown fade drop, so it's okay. Okay. It was okay. just down the, down the sideline, not a touchdown one, so he's off the hook for that. So, final game of the weekend. One of my bold upset picks. I did not choose in our official week one preview, but I go me and some other guys like our Utah State guys, Sam and Logan, like eh, maybe you got to have curse go, the courage of
0: convictions, man.
2: Hey, I picked up the cover, so I got somebody that way, so that's helpful. <laughs> <laughs> Which I do remind me, I need to go make a drive back somewhere soon to cash in on a handful of picks. But I didn't expect them to win, particularly when they play both Logan Bonner and Andrew Peasley. And I think Bonner played a bit better. I was watching the game this morning to finish it up. There's at one point where they're going to sub, and Bonner's like, no, stay out there. You're not coming and waving off to the sideline. It's like, Peasley, stay over there. I got this in the second half. And so that was an interest, interesting thing, but they won twenty six twenty three because Washington State is who's worse, Washington or Washington State? Now, Washington lost to Montana.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, Washington was ranked though.
2: They were. I don't, so. I don't think
0: I don't think the expectations for the Cougars were very high this year.
2: No, this game, like you, you brought this guys up, named a lot, Devin Hopkins. He's pretty good. Had, That's uh, true. That big forty five yarder. Like all these got running running back – or excuse me, wide receivers played well. The quarterback play, I don't know what they're going to do. I think they'll probably lean lead Bonner because he's more efficient, put up more yards. Peasley didn't give as many, many attempts. Like he had double the – or 50%, 24 to 12 attempts. Bonner with more. Like they passed the ball. The one interesting thing, there was no DeMonte Henry Cole in this game. It was Calvin Tyler. I, don't, I didn't see why he didn't play. Did you see why he was out? Or did I it?
0: didn't see anything, no.
2: I'm not sure, so maybe we've been wrong in hyping them up a little bit. But overall, like they ran the ball. Like Utah State doesn't run the ball. This is not like since they had like Corinne Williams or whoever. Else. Who was the other Seattle Seahawk? Uh, you Robert talking about Turbin? Robert Turbin? Yeah, Turbin. Yeah, like they haven't had a good running game since then. Like, it's not like Tur- Tyler was amazing. Well, they had but Jalen they Warren. Up- you forgetting about Jalen? Oh yeah. Warren. Sorry. Yeah. Now exactly the guy I liked. Right, Jalen Warren is now Oklahoma State. Here,
0: um, here's what's interesting to me. You you mentioned Tyler Junior. He's sort of emblematic of, of you know, early paid dividends on Utah State's aggressiveness in the transfer portal this offseason. Yeah. Because, you know, he, he came in from Oregon State, 14 carries, 84 yards. He led the way. I think you could be encouraged, that's too. Like, you know, like, Bonner's not necessarily a runner. And so when Peasley was in, like, he got stuff done with his legs, too. You know, he had that's four what 30, 43 to- yards. But you know, I think you know between Tyler and John Gentry, who had 13 carries for 45 yards, like that right there was an instant improvement upon what they were getting from the running game last year.
2: It was, it was awful last year. Like Warren was fine, but if he wasn't playing, it was like Hawaii esque last week.
0: Versus, but I think you uh, said. But I think that it's just you know the transfer game is especially true on the defensive side of the ball, which is where Utah State won this year in my opinion. Justin <laughs> Rice is a yeah. big name, of course. That guy's a, that guy's still a terror, and I miss him. Yes, um, so. <laughs> you know, you know, seven tackles, a tackle for loss and a pass breakup. Um, but you know, beyond that, like Patrick Jonah Jr., you know, came in from Miami, won a starting job as a defensive end, really set the tone in this game. He had that safety in the first quarter. That's six, to six to
2: five at the halftime, six to five.
0: Yeah. and You know, he had two TFLs, you know, Marlon Moore had a TFL, you know, nine TFLs as a team and, and two total sacks against a, a Washington state team that's going through its own, own sort of quarterback issues. You know, Jared Guantano and Jaden Delora didn't necessarily set the world on fire. And I, and I saw this graph. I saw this tweet about, you know, three Washington state receivers who had left the program ended up playing elsewhere. I think all three of them scored a touchdown for their respective teams yesterday.
2: Is it including the one who's suing Nick Rolovich? <laughs> uh, Yeah, I believe so. Cassidy Woods. Yes.
0: Um, you know, like the Cougars didn't really get a lot of big plays from their passing game. You know, they're, they're, the longest completion was only 20 yards, which in a run and shoot, not necessarily you would expect. And so, you know, the, that secondary was one of those, one of those uh units. I think coming into the year that we were all sort of maybe, a, I don't want to say dubious, but we were we were a little concerned about how well they were going to hold up. Yeah, I was Jack week, Bond. Mission, we weren't sure. Yeah, you know, mission accomplished. That yeah. they were really able to hold them in check. And I think that's something you can really hang your hat on. Like, they, they just looked revitalized all the way around.
2: Also, um, there's one play that was kind of – I was watching it earlier. Like, it le- led to a touchdown, the stupid pass interference call in the end zone. I'm like, what are you guys mm-hmm. doing? That was ridiculous. I'm like – because it's funny, the commentators, one was the DB, one was a receiver, and they showed it like three times. Like, they showed the replay. Like, is that – it was like contact, but I'm like, there was a contact. I'm like, come on. So they got the ball to two and I think they scored like a play or so later. But the defense is this like typically when you think of Washington State, it's gonna be a team that passes and passes and scores. Like their long play wasn't very long, only two hundred yards passing just over. Was it is it because Utah State's defense is this good or is Nick Rolovich, doesn't have a quarterback, doesn't know what's going on. I think it's both because giving up only five giving up six points in the first half is good. Twenty three overall to a team. Yeah, they lost a bunch of receivers, but you would think this usually, especially in openers, like remember last year he went down and beat or no Mike Leach with his run and shoot, beat the mm-hmm. crap out of some team SEC. After that, they're garbage and terrible. Like usually in like the week one games, if you want to do a run and shoot offense, it doesn't really matter too much to what your talent is. But I guess also up to have a quarterback and Washington State doesn't have that.
0: Yeah. I mean, to your point, you know, they, a run and shoot offense thrives on big plays. And like I said, their biggest pass play went for 20 yards. And, you know, other than Max Borgi's, you know, 64 yard touchdown run in the third quarter, you know, he had one other play, he had one other run of 15 yards and that was it. So like nearly all of his, all of his yardage on the ground came through two plays. And, you know, he only had 11 carries because he was getting stopped more often than not. Mm And so, so, you know, do you Washington believe Utah State?
2: Do you believe them, the Aggies?
0: I mean, I I had them going six and six at least. So yeah, okay. I, I thought that I thought they deserved at least a little bit of helium.
2: We found your team that's good that everybody predicts to be terrible, and you are correct. Maybe
0: well, I mean we'll we'll wait and see. Like they've got their own trial coming up too, because like we just saw two Mountain West teams get sniped by FCS teams. Um, Utah State's got their own opportunity coming up next week against North Dakota. We're going to talk more about the Fighting Hawks during next week's preview. But they gotta stay ready. They don't. They don't want to be next.
2: North Dakota is want to know. Just so you know.
0: Yes. All
2: right. Anything else to add this week, or is it time to wrap it up and get ready for week two? I guess. I think we're all set. All right. So mwr. dot com. Check out all the stuff we have. For recaps. You have your winners and losers. There'll be some projections rankings come out this week. So check all that stuff out. And next week we have. Well, just subscribe to the podcast. We'll do a lot more here. We'll do what we'll see how many shows we do next week. It depends on the day of games, but we'll be back. And yeah, it's week one into books. Feeling okay with your team not winning? It's okay, Matt. You'll be fine. You'll you'll get there. It's only one game. I know. And and they played well. So there's lots to look at for all your teams out there. Hopefully everybody has a better week next time. And we'll see how it is during conference play. But yeah, week two is coming up, and we'll see everybody next time.